Welcome to Leadership Decoded, a weekly podcast where through insights and interviews, I explore what good leadership looks like. I'm David McQueen, executive coach, speaker and host of this podcast. My main aim is to keep the podcast long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to create interest. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Leadership Decoded. This is episode 27. And I can't believe it's been almost three months since I last recorded one of these. And believe me, a lot has happened since then. I have released a number of videos. I have put some content online. I've developed a course. And work-wise, I have never been as busy, or, or should I say productive. That, however, is no excuse. And as my nephew has reminded me, Uncle, there is no use in calling it a weekly podcast if you're not going to do it on a weekly basis. So here I am, back again, uh, and really excited about churning out some content for um, Leadership Decoded, and as much as I can, to try and do it weekly, rather than doing it sporadically, definitely trying to keep uh, weekly content um, out there to you as an audience. So before I jump into the detail of today's episode, I want to talk about a couple of changes afoot. I wrestled with the idea of making this a narrative podcast. For those of you who don't know what a narrative podcast is, it's it's more storytelling, it's got these really uh, lovely um, interventions of music and, and, you know, all the dramatic pauses and all this kind of stuff. Uh, You think of Serial, think of um, Homecoming, uh, think of the startup school as, um, oh God, what's it called? Um, Gimlet. And Gimlet Media being one of the uh, premier... Um, platforms that does narrative podcasting and if I'm really honest it tortured me for a bit but I realized that for this one now let me just stick to the combo style of insights and interviews I can include stories but the production overhead of a narrative podcast is not where my energy needs to be right now which reminds me I need to back up and do a hell of a lot more interviews anyway secondly I've made the conscious effort to develop leadership decoded into more than just a podcast I absolutely love doing this, please don't get me wrong, but quite a huge chunk of my leadership development work is targeted at senior leaders, and it got me thinking. What can I do to develop emerging leaders with the same key messages and coaching that I give to senior leaders long before they get there? So my result is that I'm building Leadership Decoded into a community. This will be a monthly subscription starting in 2021, which is a community for ambitious and aspirational leaders That will include a leadership book club, short online courses, and a monthly leadership live with yours truly, myself. Thirdly, although I don't like adverts per se in podcasts, many of you would know this and you probably hear it in in my previous um, introductions, but I'll be using the opportunity to promote the community and its benefits through this podcast going forward. So no, there won't be any external adverts and I'll still keep it this way, but I do believe that being able to use this platform to really talk about the community that we're developing is going to be important. They will be small and concise, but they will be included. And lastly, I'm playing with the idea of introducing office hours. Now, I'm not sure if I want to tag it onto the end of each episode or to release them as their own snippet and mini episode, but I want to take questions about leadership from the audience and then be able to answer them as part of the podcast. So kudos to Seth Godin and Prof G for inspiring this element of the podcast. Okay, let's dive in. The Leadership Pipeline. 
On June 16th, 2020, Charles Sheff, the CEO of Wells Fargo, issued an internal memo to staff. Amongst other things, he wanted to be able to explain to staff uh, about the need for things to change. In September, a short snippet of that memo made its way out of the company into the wider world. While it might sound like an excuse, the unfortunate reality is that there is a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from within this specific experience as our industry does not have enough diversity in most senior roles, Shafra. The background for this was that whilst they were really talking about trying to do things different, and, and this was a, a man who had come in and has only been in the role for a year, but had really helped to turn uh, Wells Fargo around in terms of the bad debt and the defaults and all the rest of it. Whilst he was trying to move forward, he said that there was a limited pool of black talent. And as you can imagine, once this kind of stuff hits social media and, and hits the, the um, what can I say? Yeah, just social media. When it, when it hits the pit of social media, whatever platform it is, people are all going to jump over it. And he said, I apologize for making an insensitive comment reflecting my own unconscious bias. He said this in a follow-up statement. He said, there are many talented, diverse individuals working at Wells Fargo and throughout the financial services industry, and I never meant to imply otherwise. Here's the thing. I have been, since May and June, really challenged by the way that the world has turned upside down. There have been a number of leaders across industries who have asked me and engaged me to come in and work with their organisations, specifically around having brave conversations about race, but also being able to coach staff about how to navigate what has, has been and continues to be very turbulent times. Now, I take a slightly different position with Charles Schaff than a lot of people who I know. And I, I recognise that, you know, whichever way he said it, that would come across as a real cock-up. And, and he's not the only kind of leader who would have made such a stupid statement. However, I look at these things as opportunities. I look at them as a, as a revelation of what's actually going on in people's minds. And then how can we challenge that? Because here's the thing. He would have written this in a memo that there is a, a lack of um, black talent in the leadership pipeline. And it would have blown out of proportion. The truth is is that there are a number of people in similar industries or in similar positions who actually have the same kind of thinking, but they don't speak it out loud. It doesn't get placed in a memo because they are very afraid of saying the wrong thing. One of the things I found whilst doing uh, a number of workshops and consultations with organizations and clients over the last four or five months has been how reluctant people are to have an actual conversation about race. Uh, and I've been doing, again, as I said earlier, uh, a series of workshops uh, called Brave Conversations, primarily targeted at senior leaders, but making their way down through all levels of leadership so that individuals can feel empowered and have a sense of agency and have some tools in their toolkit as to how they can have this conversation around race. And so for me, I think this is an opportunity for individuals to say, you know, look, I, I am not aware of the fact that there is um, a talent pipeline. So who do I need to talk to 
in order to be able to identify who are the hiring managers, the recruitment agencies, the universities, the larger network and, and, and referral um, channels that I can talk to in order to be able to identify who's out there. Notwithstanding, this year has really exposed the fact that a lot of racism, insinuous or insidious, should I say, or otherwise still exists in the UK, especially because I can only speak for my country. And, and, and obviously there are reports as well in, uh, in North America and further afield. But I believe that there is an opportunity here to see how, when people do hold these views either in the open or, or slightly um, underneath um, the radar, how do we as individuals take this as an opportunity to really tackle and address some of the things around the leadership pipeline? So it has been really interesting to see how companies will lament the lack of opportunities for underrepresented groups, um, be it black people in the case of Wells Fargo or any other kind of ethnicity elsewhere, or other groups with shared characteristics such as gender, ability, or orientation, or any other protected characteristics. And, and for many years, my work in leadership has seen a number of organizations place all their energy especially around um, tackling underrepresented groups on making sure that there's women representation. Now, the truth is, if we look at the data, um, groups like the 30% Club uh, and so many other advocacy groups which have looked to ensure that there are more senior leaders, um, senior women leaders in, in many of the major organisations. In, in many respects, it's actually gone back. And now we've had this pandemic, everybody's working from home, We've had furloughing, there have been some serious uh, reductions in staff, and so many things. We've seen that it's gone back, not only in terms of gender, but in terms of race as well. But as with all recessions, and with all crises, to, to quote Churchill, there's an opportunity in here. I can't believe I'm quoting Winston Churchill, but you know, just work with me. There's an opportunity to be able to do something here. And I believe that there is an opportunity for individuals across organizations to share best practice, understanding, insight about how they can deal with the gaps that they feel that they have in the leadership pipeline. So on a personal note, when Black Lives Matter kicked off uh, and, and got its real momentum towards the end of May, early June, with, with the death of a number of individuals, especially in North America, uh, and, and of course its own, um, how do I say, its own form, its own formation here in the UK, because the way we approach Black Lives Matter in the UK is very different than the one in the US. Yes, there are some similarities, but, you know, things around policing and all the rest of it, we are we are different, okay? There are, there are lots of similarities, but they're very different in the way that we approach it. But what I realised is that there was an opportunity for a lot of black leaders, both senior and emerging, who found their voice. For many years, I know I've been very outspoken. People have told me for a, a number of years that I've been very outspoken about equity and equality. Um, as a black man who has had to learn how, how to play a certain game of chess in the world of work rather than checkers, a lot of that has allowed me to be in spaces where I've spoken whether it's on a platform, whether I'm using my podcast, whether I'm um, writing content down or, or being interviewed by others, 
as to how we can really start to address and amplify the voice of black leaders. And, and even more so in this challenging time, I felt that there was a great opportunity for many who had been quiet in the past, who suddenly felt increasingly isolated or alienated, found their voice. And, and they wanted to be able to raise their voice. Some um, were slightly overwhelmed because what they realized is that for a lot of people who had been ignoring this in the past, now that they were able to address it, they wanted to have insights from those same individuals. And sometimes it was overwhelming and overwhelmed, should I say. And myself and other coaches and supporting staff were um, finding that we had to go in and we had to make sure that the mental well-being and the resilience of many of these senior leaders were, were, um, were kept in check. But more than anything else, I think it's a real opportunity for those who are awakened or are aware of the, is awakened a word? I'm using it anyway. Or are aware of the heightened um, priority of talking about race this year, that we can start to talk about that leadership pipeline. And, and not only for race, because I think inclusive leadership is across the board. It it, it, it it deals with all different kinds of characteristics. I, I know that I have been advocating big time around race this year and for many years, but uh, I hold them on an equal par with so many of the others um, for um, underrepresented groups in positions of leadership. So me personally, I, I actually started a, a platform called Amplify 21. Uh, and the whole point of Amplify 21 is that I wanted to amplify black voices in the 21st century. I wanted to go across the um, the public, private and civic sectors and and be able to, to raise those voices. The thing is, is I've spoken to senior leaders across all those sectors and I've said the same thing over and over and again. You have to have an appetite for developing leaders across the board. It starts at the beginning of the talent pipeline when we're doing attraction and we're trying to get, you know, um, graduates or, or, or um, career changers or returners to the um, workforce into certain organizations, you have to think about your branding and your language and the narratives you use and the culture that you want to be able to create. Uh, you know, what universities and schools are you recruiting from? What does your referral system look like? Does it mean that you still get the same people coming in just because you want culture fit? Or are you going to expand it some more so that you can look slightly wider and you can have culture add? You can start hiring people who could not only align with the values and the kind of systems and processes, but rather than just fitting in and being the same and stifling innovation, they could add to it and they could help you to level up, to be more profitable, to be more productive, to have more employee engagement and lower staff turnover. How do you as an organization think about mentoring? You know, whether that's um, reciprocal mentoring where a senior member of staff is matched with a young member of staff and what they do is they find ways that they can both mentor so the senior one can really help with the younger person to navigate what a longer term career or leadership path looks like and a younger or less experienced um, member of staff can be able to mentor a senior one to to get them to understand you know how they approach the world of work some of the issues that they may be facing as young people and you know both parties are able to benefit from that or also it could be sponsorship schemes. How can organizations ensure that they have senior um, leaders and in positions of influence who using a number of tools can go through and see a number of uh, untapped um, but potential opportunities in the organization, often from underrepresented backgrounds, who they can be trained on and worked with. And not only do they provide some really good strong mentoring, 
But what they can do is they can be the voice for that person when they're not in the room. They can represent for them, whether it's around work placements, whether it's around volunteering opportunities, whether it's around, you know, board uh, positions that they can have in a non-executive space or, or, or wherever else they um, wish to build and develop their leadership skills. What can you do? And then finally, the last one is that real intentional piece about what kind of inclusive culture do you wish to have? But let me take it back a bit. And I, I, I always say that it's very important, especially when we are having these conversations, to be very honest about the challenges we have. Because yes, we may have some fantastic ideals about what it really looks like to have a more inclusive and a more diverse workplace. But the reality is, is we've got to be able to match that up with the expectations that individuals have, either from the talent they're, they're hiring in or the existing cultures that they have. You don't want to be bringing people into a place where it's just going to be toxic. Uh, and toxic leadership is a, is a future podcast coming, but just wait and see. And it's so important to make sure, as I said, you know, these things around attraction and where you get your staff from, your referral systems, your mentoring, your sponsorship, your culture, all these things are absolutely important if you really want to think about having a more diverse and inclusive leadership pipeline. But again, as I said, let's bring it back. The reality is that a lot of people, if they are afraid to talk about working with underrepresented groups because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing or because of compliance and legal issues, people just don't want to be sued and so they don't want to be able to um, step outside that. Or, and, and, and here's one of my bugbears, or you do this leadership pipeline and what you do is you throw in an implicit or unconscious bias training course and everybody gets aware of what their biases are for a day and then we just move on as normal. Those things do not have a long-lasting effect. It's important to understand that if you are going to be able to develop a talent pipeline uh, with a lasting or long-lasting effect, you need to do it and really think boldly and differently about how you're going to develop that leadership pipeline and do it with good intent. You know, one of the, if I can jump back a bit, one of the things that really knocked me around um, the, the insurgents or, or should I say the um, increasing popularity of Black Lives Matter was the amount of organizations that just threw out these statements and these um, black social media stickers and all the rest of it and hadn't really thought it through. There is no other area of leadership in your business when you're thinking about profitability and engagement and customer journey and stakeholders where you just throw out a statement with actually having th thinking it through strategically. And so for me, uh, what I've been saying to a lot of my clients and, and what I will say to the audience here who's listening to my podcast is you have to think of these things strategically. The whole point of being a leader is that whether it's in a situation or whether it's in a, a department or an organization or whatever space that you've been called on or drawn upon to be a leader is that there are going to be people who are depending on your vision, people who are going to be depending on your knowledge, and people who are going to be depending on your wisdom to take them to a certain destination. And in order to do that, it means that you have to have trust. It means that you have to be have thought the, the whole process through. It means that you should have done a risk analysis on it. You would have thought about the mental models that you use for all the decisions and, and how you're going to approach solving that specific problem. And so it's so important that we treat the leadership pipeline with the same kind of integrity that we would any other part of an organization, be it profitable or non-profit. We still have to have that same kind of ideology, making sure that we choose very carefully as to how we develop, but also looking as wide and as deep as possible. So a number of clients I have worked with this year, especially around um, in, in the finance industry and, and to a lesser extent in 
um, technology and, and media, they have developed some really bold race action plans. In, in light of all the stuff that's happened around um, racial awareness, they have set ambitious targets to have leaders across their groups and individual companies to be more reflective of the wider population as well as the communities that they serve. In addition to this, they have also thought about their supply chain. They've also thought about the engagement of stakeholders across the board. And a lot of companies have been very ambitious, you know, putting targets of 3% for black leaders or 10% for um, non-white leaders in an organization. And this thing is absolutely quite powerful. Uh, the important thing is to recognize this is not a one-off. A leadership pipeline development is not a one-off. It's something that you have to continuously look at and iterate and build on and see what works and um, not be afraid of being challenged around that stuff and, and find out what works and then build on that again and iterate. It's going to be a continuous process. And the thing is, I guess, is that there's so much information out there that shows that having more diverse leaders across gender and ethnicity um, account for larger profitability in your organization. You have reports year on year from McKinsey, from Mercer, from Pew, from Deloitte, from Hayes, from the Boston Consulting Group, and so many others. And they have shown time after time after time that having more diverse leaders, and I'm not just talking in one territory, we can talk about Europe and the Middle East and Africa, we can talk about Asia Pacific, Latin America, North America, just across the world, what we're able to do is recognize from these studies that when you have more diverse leaders across gender and ethnicity, they specifically account for larger profitability across all sectors, as well as good staff retention and employee engagement. And evidently, it gives a really good customer impression. And many of the young people who are entering into the workforce, what they will do is they will see this as part of the um, actual um, the kudos or the attraction to work for that actual organization. So it's a win-win. So it baffles me as to why there are so many senior leaders some of you I've had some conversations with, others I'm just like, I, I can't even sit down there and have that conversation because you're just making me my head go dizzy. But there is so much data there, there's a, such a strong business case, even if you don't want to do the ethical moral case around diversity, there's a strong business case as to why making sure that having that leadership pipeline from whatever entry or whatever level of leadership or management, making sure that you have that diversity across gender, across ethnicity or any uh, ethnicity or any other underrepresented characteristic is good for business. And yet here we are having the same argument year after year. You know, I've seen it in, and, 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 and I'm going to call it out, I've seen it in the law industry, in the professional services industry, in the tech industry, in some banking and finance, where people are, uh, are um, producing reports about ethnic pay gaps. Year after year, they feel really bold because they've got this two-toned with some really good legend chart as to how they have this ethnic pay gap. But they seem to ignore the data or the, the process that is needed to show how they can actually close that gap. And sometimes I say, and I think somebody done it, I can't remember the name of the organization, but somebody suggested maybe if there was an independent report demonstrating ethnic stay gaps instead of pay gaps, it would be, be really interesting to see what would happen when a company realized how good talent flees the company um, after stagnating at middle leadership and the impact it has on the bottom line. Because then maybe where people would sit up. And so there's a real opportunity for companies to recognize how they can strategically stay one step ahead of their competition. If they really think about how you are going to sit down and really have a thorough 
and intense strategic session about developing that leadership pipeline. Because the world of work has changed, okay? This whole year, 2020, has flipped the way that we've worked upside its head. But like so many recessions and so many difficult challenges that we've had in the past, we've also realized that there are opportunities for innovation and for growth and for challenging the status quo and actually ushering a new way of working. There are some organizations who are going to thrive through this. We know who some of those are. There are some people who have you know, made billions and billions of pounds. But I'm generally just talking across the board, not just those exceptions to the rule. How can we use this opportunity to really think about developing leadership um, in the pipeline? And again, as I said before, a lot of it is seriously sitting down strategically and thinking about how do you recruit that talent? How do you maintain it? How do you develop it? And even in a, in a world now where, because of remote working, a lot of stuff has changed, trying to think on our feet as to how we can actually make this even better. I want to finish off this episode to talk about my executive coaching for this year. And a lot of it, a lot of it has centered on talent who are becoming board ready for senior roles. Or I'm working with a lot of individuals in senior roles already who are looking to become a lot more inclusive in the way that they lead and the way that they want to develop staff in their leadership, um, in their senior leadership teams who can be inclusive themselves. Now, some of them have been through some real um, challenging times. Uh, I remember working with a specific client where we, I, I went around and I um, questioned a lot of their staff around um, the, the experience that they have as different racial groups, not only from the customers that they serve, but their roles as well in ambitions and aspirations to be leaders. And a lot of it came back really negative. And it was quite interesting and challenging to see a lot of those senior leaders sit down there and hear some of those stories recorded. Some were done anonymous and being able to repeat it back to them. And as I've said to the clients, in the same way I'll say to you, there's an opportunity here for uh, a lot of organizations to really grasp the opportunity of being a hell of a lot more inclusive and developing that pipeline of talent by looking further, by asking better questions, by uh, improving our hiring process, by thinking about being able to have those processes, and not just the tick box processes, but those really deep processes internally where you can be able to attract really good talent. And, and working with a lot of, again, as I said, these senior leaders, my thing is, is, you know, what does it look like? What does it look like to come into your organization and have a sense of belonging? Even if I am from a different ethnic age or whatever kind of background to the norm, what does it look like to be able to really inspire uh, uh, and, and attract amazing talent to the organization and not only attract them, but keep them there? And that's the million dollar question. But I thought I'd leave those thoughts with you for this week's episode. And, and, and I want to give, and, and I've been thinking about this, I want to give some recommended reading. So the book that I want to recommend this for this episode that can really help people in terms of their thinking is one by a, a, a management scholar called David Clutterbuck. And the book is called The Talent Wave, Why Succession Planning Fails and What to Do About It. The Talent Wave, Why Succession Planning Fails and What to Do About It. This also has forced my hand now because I'm actually going to have to do show notes for this kind of stuff as well. Um, so that I'm going to have to really think about how I do that. I'm working with people to get some of the historic ones, but in the meantime, we'll work with that and I'll make sure we'll get up to date with it. So the book I want you to read is The Talent Wave by Succession Planning Fails and What to Do About It by David Clark. So thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that this episode helped someone in leadership or someone intended to go into leadership to have a think about the importance of shaping a more inclusive leadership pipeline. 
can get this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and all other um, special places where you get your podcast. So go ahead and share or comment and rate on whatever platform you get this. I love you know if you listen to it on um, iTunes, give me those stars. Um, I'm not sure where else you could do the comments. Obviously, it will be on my blog as well. Um, and I appreciate both your time to listen and your feedback. And I look forward to having you tune into the next episode of Leadership Decoded. Until next week, stay safe and take care. Thank you.